Today, we will chat about expanding your family after an autism diagnosis and help you weigh the pros and the cons. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Hey everyone, today we're going to be talking about expanding the family after an autism diagnosis. One of the reasons is because I found this to be a commonly spoken of topic in a lot of groups on Facebook and other social media. I saw a lot of parents ask, hey, I have a child that's already been diagnosed with autism. They're our only child right now. We were planning on expanding our family, but we're not sure what we would do if we had another autistic child because we already have a hard time balancing the therapies and all that. We thought that it would be a good topic for us to discuss, given the fact that we do, in fact, already have two Two. children. (laughs) (laughs) More than one. (laughs) Last I checked, at least, right? There we go. You're not hiding another one somewhere. Oh, I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) If we are, it's a surprise to both of us. One of the reasons that we wanted to touch on this was, again, because we do have multiple children, but also because there's actually a statistical correlation with autism and siblings. I'm not sure if you guys heard about the new data that came out with autism. It used to be up until fairly recently that autism was a one out of 68 chance in the population. So I think that's about a 1.5 percentage of the population. And recent data that just came out this year, I think just like a month or so ago, I believe. I was going to say, yeah, it all seems relatively like new data that's breaking. I'm not sure if there's just not a lot of data out there. So then anything that's coming out is recent. Yeah. So the most recent data that just came out showed that there's now a one in 44 chance of a child having autism just in the general population, which I believe practically doubled the percentage from about one to one and a half percent to now about two to three percent of the population. So we're we're also not math people. So yeah, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure that's what it is. It's around the two percent mark now, as opposed to where it was was closer to the one before. Yeah. Yeah, that was another reason that we started to talk about this and think about this, because there is a stronger correlation with siblings of a previously diagnosed child. So when our first child was diagnosed with autism and we had a second pregnancy, before that child was even born, the doctors were already saying like, okay, when you have this kid, we want to see them just automatically just in case because statistics show that children that are siblings of another autistic child, their chances of having autism increases from that 2% to about 20 to 30%. So that is a significant increase. That's about between a quarter and a third of a chance, basically. Right. It really jumps it up. So, I mean, that is definitely something to consider if you already have one child on the spectrum and you're thinking about kind of expanding the family that you might also have another child that is diagnosed autistic as well. That's a pretty significant chance. And that goes for every time. So every time that you get pregnant, it's still an additional roll of the dice, essentially, for that one third chance. For us, we didn't really see that as a problem. We don't really mind. For us, it was actually, I think, easier having two autistic children than one. At first, we thought we had a neurotypical child because she wasn't anything like her sister. And then we were kind of like, oh, maybe. And then finally, we saw some red flags and had the uh, virtual diagnosis. And they, (laughs) they said basically like right away, like, yep, she's autistic. 
But I mean, we were basically planning on raising them with the same structure either way. So it really didn't make much of a difference. I mean, it was just now we are aware of it and now we can get her signed up for uh, therapies and everything to help her with speech and occupational therapy. But otherwise, nothing really changed for us in that respect. I think something to keep in mind is the associated costs if your child is potentially autistic. If you do end up having multiple children who are autistic who will need the same intensive therapies, that adds up quickly. And I know for us, that essentially meant that we had no choice. We both had to work full time and get dual insurance just to be able to afford it. And I guess I did lie before as far as nothing changed. The logistics with another child also added kind of another element where if your mom, for example, is watching one of our children, but we have to run the other one to therapy. Okay, we have to remember, we have to run back to pick her up before we head home and just trying to schedule, okay, who's watching one of the kids while we're taking the other one to a therapy because most of the time we weren't able to take both of them to the same therapy session because it was only for that one child. So if you do have separate therapies and it's not like a therapy school of sorts like our kids are attending now, it can be very challenging just trying to set up a schedule that is both accommodating for you and your spouse, especially if you both do have to work because you need kind of the double insurance to cover the medical expenses because they can get quite costly. If your child is still at that younger age where they still qualify for infants and toddlers, what we essentially did is just lump all of their sessions together. So all of their evaluators, the OT, SC, PT, they evaluate both of them together on the same day, back to back within the session. And we just have one extended session rather than doing separate appointments for each of them. That has been a helpful way of like condensing things. But I did realize that initially when they were further apart in terms of the progress that they've made, where they weren't quite on the same page, it was very challenging bringing them to multiple different therapies at different times and different locations and different days. It really stretches you thin and honestly became virtually impossible with a full-time job, I can just imagine even without a full-time job, it probably would still be pretty difficult to manage the schedule. Yeah. And I mean, we've definitely had kind of a juggling act going. At one point I was working remote. Then at another point you were working remote and I was back in the office. And then we were also relying on kind of family to kind of bridge the gap when we weren't both able to either take them to the therapy or watch the other child during work hours. So, I mean, you definitely have to kind of juggle or figure out the logistical plan prior to setting up the therapies. And sometimes it can be quite difficult. So that is, I mean, definitely something to always keep in mind. And we do talk about tips on how to do that in season one, I believe the Finding the Balance episode, we talk about different ways to try to work that balance into your life schedule. But that is not to say that it is not still without its challenges. So despite all those tips, and despite everything that you may try, having multiple children, it does make that difficult when you have one with autism, let alone two with autism. Because the other thing to consider is if you in fact do have another neurotypical child, and you have your one autistic child, and then your second child's neurotypical, that's still going to cause scheduling conflicts because you're going to have one kid who's going to be going to therapies and another kid who is not going to need therapies and it's going to have to be somewhere else. So in a sense, that may make it even more challenging because you have to coordinate that. And that's what we did initially because we didn't know that our second child was autistic. So initially, she wasn't going to therapies and we were trying to find alternative childcare for her, whether it be my mom's or a friend. But eventually, that kind of ends up being really difficult to manage. And even before I think we had gotten her diagnosed, I mean, we were taking the other one to therapy. Sometimes it would be one would be in therapy and then for the other one, so she's not stuck on the car, we would have to take her to on a walk or go kind of just strolling around. 
just to eat up some time so she's not just in the car seat during that 45-minute gap for that the other one was in therapy. So, I mean, it, you're right. The logistics doesn't necessarily change whether the second child is autistic or neurotypical. It's just something to consider about how to kind of navigate your path forward. So I would say when it comes to that, the pro is that if you have another autistic child, then it might be easier to align some of those therapies if they're able to go to the same place and schedule back to back or closely together. That might make it easier for you. The con there is if, in fact, you have two autistic children and they're too far apart in age or too far apart in the quote unquote level where some needs way more support than other, they might not be able to go to the same therapist or may not have the same needs. So you might actually end up doing duplicate therapies and that can book up your schedule pretty quickly. And then the other item was also finances. As far as if you have one child that is autistic versus two, depending on your insurance, how well that kind of navigates. If you and your spouse are married, one at home, or if you both need dual insurances to cover the medical expenses. But again, having another child regardless would still be another expense to take into consideration. The pro there is if you have two autistic children on the same medical insurance, you hit that deductible quicker and they <laughs> yeah, cover the rest of it in the out of pocket like that. That is actually nice. We ended up hitting that like the first three months of I was the year. Say, yeah, every, and then, every year. That, yeah. That then you're hits. covered for the rest of the year. So that's a pro. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> or you could look at it as a pro. And then the other thing to consider is the sibling dynamics. So if you have another child, you have to take into consideration, is that child going to be autistic or are they going to be neurotypical? The chance of it being autistic is like one in three, basically, about a third. So depending on what that outcome is, is how you'll be able to manage the relationship with your current autistic child. We have two autistic children, and although you would think that that means they would get along better, it actually means the opposite because they are completely opposite in their sensory needs. Right. They often will trigger one another and get upset with the other one. So one doesn't like loud sounds. The other one likes to only be loud. I don't think she knows how to whisper. Um, <laughs> so needless to say, when she's loud, her sister starts crying because it's too loud. So I'll have to find like uh, earmuffs for her to kind of quiet or quiet the environment for her a little bit. But yeah, that's something to consider. One likes to kind of roughhouse a little bit and the other is very much kind of personal space. So of course that creates little fights amongst them. So I mean, yeah, definitely the, the dynamic there can be a bit challenging depending on the sensory needs if you have two autistic children. So you have to take that into consideration because it's possible that they may have the same sensory needs. And if that's the case, then it would kind of be a pro because you can just do the same thing for both of them, treat them essentially the same way if they have the same sensory needs. And it might be easier because if you create a sensory room and they both like the same sensory input, you don't have to worry about making different corners different. You don't have to worry about protecting one from loud noise while giving the other a bunch of access to loud noise. That makes it easier. But the con is essentially if you end up with two autistic children who are on the opposite sides of that, it can get very hairy because they can constantly trigger each other. And that's honestly what happens with our kids is they're constantly triggering each other. So you end up playing kind of like a referee in between them all the time. And it can be a little bit of a handful. So I would say take that into consideration and consider like how much you feel capable of handling yourself in terms of the stress load that it can be when you have two kids who might be in meltdown mode at the same time over the opposite thing. Just think about that scenario. You have two kids melting down. One is because the room is too bright. The other one's because it's not bright enough. What do you do? Yep. And we've come into that uh, multiple times and there's no way to avoid it. Someone is not going to be happy. I mean, we can have one leave the room. 
But ultimately, we've found ourselves in that situation a handful of times where there's not much wiggle room there and you just kind of have to figure out which one to take. And then hopefully you can kind of work with the other one to try and pull them out of a meltdown a little bit so they're not a danger to themselves or their sibling. And I will say with multiples, another challenge area that I have experienced is that sometimes when you're handling a meltdown with one, the other one is still very highly sensory seeking. And so the other one will be getting into like toilet water or like dirt in your potted plants or just like anything that's sensory that they can get their hands into that normally you would be there to make sure they don't get into. And you would think of this as like, you know, kind of like infant toddler behavior, but when it comes to autism, this behavior kind of grows with them as well. So just because they're older doesn't necessarily mean they stop that behavior. So that's another thing to consider is if you have multiple kids and there's just like one or two of you, you have to take into consideration that you're going to have to be okay with letting some things go. You're going to have to be okay with the fact that, okay, well, at some point in time, somebody is going to get into something and I'm just not going to be able to do anything about it because I'm going to have to be dealing with X, Y, or Z. Or in our case, because we both have little girls with long hair, how many times have you fixed their hair just right to then one gets upset with something and the other one's hair is a complete mess before we leave? Well, half of that is them pulling each other's <laughs> well, hair. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, <laughs> you can brush their hair and get it styled perfectly, but then in five seconds... Yeah, I don't it's... bother anymore. It's a messy <laughs> bun for both of them. There we go. <laughs> no, but I also think one of the, uh, the pros is, since both our girls are autistic, if we do buy them a sensory toy, chances are it can be kind of shared amongst them. So like we have like a like mini trampoline to kind of work on one of our daughter's ability to kind of jump because she has low muscle tone. And then our other daughter is very sensory seeking as far as like motion. So she likes to just get on there and just jump. So it is beneficial for both of them to kind of work on different components of autism, but also it's the same item. So it's not like we are buying a trampoline for one, but then the other one's not really going to use it. They both pretty much for the most part share most of the sensory items that we have. They both have very types of swings. So they'll use those periodically, the little bouncy balls. So there's lots of little things that they kind of both share. Another pro is if you have a second child and you have your initial autistic child, whether that second child is autistic or not, that's going to serve as a grounding point for your autistic child in the sense that having a sibling can make all the difference when it comes to expanding communication and other things like that. Because I remember our oldest child, initially, she was very nonverbal, noncommunicative, kind of in her own world. And as soon as we had our second child, she didn't pay attention to her at all, right? So it was like she didn't exist at all. But as they started to grow together and she started to get used to her being present in her world and became more comfortable with her, she did start to experience standard sibling rivalry where whatever she's doing, I want to do. If she's getting praised for something, I want that praise. And so having that extra sibling actually helped us. For instance, it was really difficult to potty train the oldest one, but the youngest one caught it real quick. And because the youngest one caught it real quick, the oldest one wanted to be a big girl like her sister too. And she saw that we were praising her sister. She saw that her sister was getting rewarded and she saw it as a little bit of like competition. So that inspired her to want to catch up and inspired her to want to potty train too. So little things like that that you don't think of can actually help you in terms of expanding your autistic child's social abilities, play abilities, and things like potty training. 
morning. And now she counts how many times that she's gone potty for the day. Yes. <laughs> and literally. carries it over to the next day. So it's like a never ending. Yeah. She'll be like, count. she's like 16. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, good for her. But, um, but no, if, if your children are both around the same age, it's also good because developing social play. So, I mean, sometimes, yes, they do fight and they trigger each other, but at the same time, they are also fans of various little cartoon shows and they like to reenact the different characters. So like our oldest daughter will tell her sister, oh, you're going to be whatever character and I'm going to be this one. So then they can kind of act out together. So it's kind of a nice social setting where they're able to play together and figure out, okay, what is play essentially? Right. And it gives them the ability to become comfortable with that play. So like right now, when they go to their school or when they go to a playground, when our autistic children are out in public with other peers, they're not really around those peers for a long enough period of time that they can develop any sort of like bond or connection. So I feel like that makes it more difficult for them to ultimately get to the point where they are trying this like social interactive play. Whereas if you have a sibling who is at home with your child at all times, this allows enough time for your autistic child to develop a level of comfort with them and to feel secure around them to a point where they might feel okay with letting them into their own world or they might feel okay with going into the sibling's world. And that's something that we noticed with our kids because initially they were completely isolated. They would just stay in their own corner doing their own thing. There was no imaginative play. There was no joint attention. Eventually, what they did is they started gradually coming closer and closer and closer to each other to the point where they were doing what's called parallel play. And parallel play is essentially when they're playing next to each other similar things, but not quite socially engaging with each other. And it took some time of that until they got to the point that they are now, where now they are actually engaging with each other and playing with each other. And this was mostly unprompted. Like this is naturally evolving just amongst themselves. Well, I was going to say the good thing with that, though, that they're able to play with each other is it's a safe environment. So like if we were at the playground and there was another kid that they want to play with, we can't tell that other kid, oh, say this to her. You can't really engage with the play. You're kind of more hands off. Where like if our oldest wants to play with the youngest, I'm on pretty good terms with the mom of the youngest one which is you. <laughs> <laughs> totally went over my head. Sorry. So I was, I was, I was like, gonna, who's this woman? <laughs> so, so I was going to say, I'm on pretty good terms with the mom of the other one. So like we can kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, have her say this or like sharing or whatever. Oh, like prompting, like please and thank you. Like you're able to kind of work at both levels of them playing as opposed to at the park. You can only prompt your child to say something to the other kid. You can't really prompt the other kid to say something back. Overall, there's definitely the pros and cons to weigh, and these are things like finances, if you have childcare availability, your job, whether or not it's flexible enough to accommodate double therapies, etc. However, there's also a chance that your child will be neurotypical, and if that's the case, there's the pros and the cons there too. Going to different schools, potentially, going to different schedules or ones in therapy, ones not. There's the potential of them growing up with different sets of friends. There's just a lot that can happen when you have a neurotypical versus a neurodiverse child. On the other hand, if you have a neurotypical child, they can also serve to be like a good role model and strength and kind of like a foundation to help with your other child, which we talked in our previous episode, you want to be careful about because you don't want them to feel like they're responsible for that child, but they can serve as a good role model type of figure. Because you're basically going into the same conversation that you would if you were having 
having a baby just in general, regardless of neurotypical or autistic. And then you're just adding a few of those other elements that you would necessarily need to if the child is autistic as far as like the therapies like you mentioned. So it's basically the same list and then tacking on a few other elements to consider if the second child is autistic as well. The bottom line is we decided to have two children. At the time, we kind of suspected something was up with the first one, but I don't believe we had a diagnosis at that point. We just had suspicions. But honestly, we're at a point in our lives where we're still open to having more children in the future, despite the fact that we have two autistic children. We're totally open for more because we do feel like we have a good handle on this. And for us, having the second child with an autism diagnosis actually made things a little easier. It was easier than the first one. So it was kind of just like, oh, okay, like round two, essentially. Exactly. Like I actually find that it, it's easier having two autistic children than when it was when we thought it was one autistic and one neurotypical because we no longer have to split everything into like two different worlds. We're all living in the same world now. So that honestly makes it easier. But at the end of the day, I think what is important is you need to self-reflect and think, can you handle the potential stress that comes with all the appointments? Can you handle the potential stress that might come with multiple meltdowns, the sibling conflicts, the possibility that they may trigger each other. Even if you have a neurotypical and an autistic, you can still have the neurotypical child accidentally triggering the autistic child. There's a lot to consider. But at the end of the day, for us, we totally are for and pro expanding family. I feel confident in our parenting abilities. And if you really feel like you want another child, I wouldn't let the chance of another child being born with autism stop you. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I can't picture our family without our youngest one. I mean, she's a little goofball. I mean, we're definitely a pro as, as far as expanding. As long as you've already had the conversation and you are comfortable with having like another baby. I mean, that's, I feel like your step one. And then from there, just kind of logistics. Weigh the pros and cons. There's a ton more out there. Go on Facebook, do your research, ask other people their pros and cons. Don't just rely on ours. And hopefully this was a little bit helpful. I know that we're kind of all over the place because we do have two autistic kids. So that's the only perspective we really have on this matter. But uh, yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> go for it. <laughs> if, you're the, if you're at that stage in your life, go for it. I, I don't see why not. Yeah, sounds good. That's all we have for today. Those are the pros and the cons. I hope it was very educational. <laughs> yeah, and I hope that it was a little bit helpful, even though we probably made your decision harder. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see you next time. All right. Bye. Bye. In summary, we noted the chances of having a second autistic child after a diagnosis is approximately 20 to 30% and should be taken into consideration along with your support system, financial situation, work-life balance, and your current autistic child's needs. Every situation is unique, so we recommend you take the time to reflect on your personal circumstance before expanding your family. Tune in next time as we dive into the topic of self-care and answer questions such as, why is self-care important? What are some ways I can practice self-care? And how does self-care ultimately benefit my child? This is Embracing Autism.